Hi, I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome back to 15-Minute Film Fanatics, the podcast where two lifelong friends and film fanatics talk about films with each other for the first time. Now, this week is a very, very special week. Mike, how excited are you? Uh, so excited. I'm so excited because we have our first special guest star. It's a very special guest star. We have Professor John Lewis, who is the Distinguished Professor of Film Studies at Oregon State and the former editor of, C of Cinema Journal. Now, he's written books about hard-boiled Hollywood, teen films and youth culture, film censorship. He also wrote the BFI film classic study of The Godfather. And we thought of him for this episode because about 20 years ago, I read his book, Whom God Wishes to Destroy, Francis Coppola and the New Hollywood. Now, I read that, of course, never knowing we'd be doing this podcast, certainly never suspecting I'd be speaking to the author. But I remember it all these years later as a wonderful, wonderful book that traces the struggles of an artist like Coppola in negotiating what John Lewis calls the new Hollywood. And uh, when, when Mike and I thought of doing Godfather 3, I said, well, let me reach out to, this, to John Lewis and see if I could find him and see if he'd come and talk to us. So we are thrilled to have him here. Welcome, John. Hi. All right. I, I, I'm very flattered to be okay. here again. Excellent. So we want, to, we want to dive right in. So here's our first thing is that um, we want to know your overall thoughts about Godfather 3. Now, you know it has a reputation among fans and some scholars as being much inferior to its predecessors. Um, I realized today, or I recall today, there's even a great Sopranos bit where they sit, and, they sit and argue about which one is better, one or two, but they refuse to discuss three. They will not, Tony will not even discuss Godfather 3 with the other guys. So to what degree do you think that's an unearned reputation? Do you think it's, it's, um, misguided to compare it to the first two. What's your overall take on the film? Well, I mean, that it's the worst of those three films is not such a terrible thing. And I mean, my take on the film is uh, that I actually kind of like it. And uh, I watched some of it at lunch today. <laughs> um, and I kind of liked it again. Nice. And um, I have a little story um, that I'll tell you about it. Uh, when my son, my older son, who is, is uh, 29 years old now, uh, when he, we were expecting him, uh, Godfather 3 opened in my, my small college town. And um, I told my wife, who was nine months pregnant, that uh, once the movie started, there was no, <laughs> there was no babies. And uh, my, my son waited until later that night. Wow. And, uh, and then decided to arrive in the world, which was very polite of him. And uh, so I have a soft spot in my heart for Godfather 3 because uh, every time I see it's being aired, you know, on HBO or something, I, I think of the day that my son was born. Oh, that's great. Welcome to the true film fanatic. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that every, every event in my life is marked by, by a movie. Um, but I actually do think it's, again, it's nowhere near as good as two right. or one. Um, and probably, and what do, I'm what one do you of the like ones who think two is well, the best. Yeah, two is the best commercial film ever made in Hollywood. Agreed. So that's a tough Agreed. One. Absolutely. We we said uh, that we said that on this podcast. So you're oh you you're did oh okay. Yeah, so you're in good company here. Oh well, good good, and you know one's terrific and fantastic, and three's uh, is kind of a good movie, except it's not as good as one and two. So that's sort of my my take. I don't want to interrupt with a with a weird question here, but uh -huh. one thing that we've talked about on the podcast is why that would be, given that it's it seems made from the same materials, right? That some of the source materials uh, are the same, some of the actors are the same, uh, certainly some of the team uh, is is the same. Because I I agree with you that uh, when not compared to one and two, it doesn't seem that horrible at all. It seems 
uh, like a very watchable movie. Uh, if, if it's aired, I would, you know, uh, cue in for, for different bits, but it seem, it seem, since it's made from the same materials, how do you account for that? It's, well, it's there's differentiation. There's, you know, 15 or 20 years between two and three. <laughs> That's true. Um, and uh, a lot of things happened when they were trying to make the film. Winona Ryder got sick, so she gets replaced with Coppola's daughter, uh, Sophia, who's a terrific filmmaker, not really an actor. And, and I think it's a lot to ask of her to sort of walk into that part. Um, Duval's banned from the movie sure. because he wants too much money. So yeah, it seems a little implausible they replace him with George Hamilton which seems just sort of an odd decision, but you, you're losing a kind of dynamic between Tom and Mike that Michael that you kind of can't replace. And I think the film, I, I, like I said, I watched it a little today. It's a little campy. Um, mm -hmm. It's actually about the first two films, whereas <laughs> one and two aren't about each other at all. Right, uh, right. I think that's sort of too bad. It's almost sort of postmodern, you know, it's sort of yes. all these sort of references to the other film. And, I, did, I think we kind of don't need that or don't want that. Um, I, yes, so. I, I think you're really nailing it. I think one thing that occurs to me in my head is that there's just a lack of urgency. You know, I think that we, um, that the story in Godfather Part Two, the reason that it's so good and picks up from the first film is that we, we want to see what happens to Michael at, as he evolves. And we also want to see Vito Corleone really nail being the head of the family, but also be the head of the family. He, he's, he's a success story as far as I'm concerned in that it, it can be done where Michael, um, I think, ultimately fails. And I think number two leaves him at exactly the position where his story is a little bit less interesting. Some of, the, some of his dynamic spirit is gone once he's accepted. I think that he's not gonna be a redeemable character. Do you, do you, would you agree with the characterization, lack of urgency in the, in the third well, one? Well, yeah, and, and, and it's weird that we think that the consolidation of power is actually more interesting <laughs> than in Godfather 3, like the fate of the Vatican. Right. You know, <laughs> the stakes are actually bigger in 3, and yeah. yet they're way less interesting. A hundred million dollars. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, I know in the opening you're... scene, he's just yeah. like a hundred million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a little like what Austin Powers, you know, where... Uh, One million dollars. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so I... It's not as well written. Coppola is probably not on top of his game anymore by, by you know, the early 1990s. So he's not the filmmaker he was in the early 70s. Um, you know, the, the, the script, I, one of the things I noticed watching it again today was the script's not very good. They keep telling you what it's going on, whereas in the first two you just yeah. sort of watch the film. Show it. It's the show out. and tell rule. So it, it's sort of, again, it seems to be about itself more. And maybe there's no way around that. Coppola famously said um, after doing number two, um, and they were saying, okay, well, <laughs> make us a third one, like right away. And he said, yeah, um, if I ever make three, it'll be Abbott and Costello meet, meet the Godfather. <laughs> and, um, the kind of is when Michael puts on his- I mean, in a way, that's sort of what he yeah. resigned himself to do. You know, he claims he being Coppola claims he did he did Godfather Three because he needed the money. I don't know how people with that kind of money need money. I mean, <laughs> uh, in a way, he's Michael Corleone by that point. You know, he owns like one of the biggest wineries yeah. in the world, and 
Immobiliare. He's made more money than anybody I know. Yeah. Um, but they say, oh yeah, he made Godfather 3 because he needed the money. You know, yeah. maybe. maybe. It's funny what you said about how it's, it's self-reflective because when I watched it again for the podcast, it struck me as such a nostalgia trip. Like when they go to see Vito's childhood home and when the mule walks by, you're like, oh, maybe that's a descendant of the same mule they hit, they, the same donkey they hit Vito in. And uh, it's, it seems very, very elegiac. Like not just even the, in the pattern where you start with the big celebration and you know, he even has the, takes the picture and he wants to put Andy Garcia in the picture, which reminds you of like, you know. Oh, oh there are all these parallels, yeah. yeah. So and it seems like it's how Martino very, shows up. Where you yeah. know, where has he been for eighteen yeah, years? Exactly. Yeah, uh, and he shows up, and it's almost like he's playing himself. It's like, right. Right. well, hey, we all get old. It's almost like you know, hey, we all get old. Yeah, and I'm eighteen years older than I was in the in the first one. Or, yeah, certainly, and, certainly. Uh, well, let me ask you. Let's finish. I want to finish off the first segment with this question, though, because we on our podcast when we did Godfather Two, you know, we talked about how there's we both cheated and said the best moment maybe in, maybe in, a, in film history one of the top ones is Michael on the bench at the end of Godfather Two, just sitting there, and how it's 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 anticlimactic in a sense, but it's also beautiful. It's perfect. It's the only way the movie could end with him there alone and stuff. So. Our question about this, and Mike, Mike and I didn't cheat and talk beforehand, but my question was, um, you know, do you think that Godfather 3 does anything to suggest how Michael could pull himself back from that bench? Because there's the idea that he wants to buy his soul, he goes and confesses, he cries by killing Fredo, and he has this diabetic coma. And I think, is that maybe that's what you meant by it tells you instead of showing you? Because what, you know, how oh, do you see oh. Michael coming back? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the complaints about Godfather 3 is, is that, Michael at the end of Godfather 2 does what Michael thinks is what he has to do. And he's right. waited a long time. He's waited for his mother to die <laughs> before he, he kills his brother. And in the end of Godfather 1, he lies to everybody. <laughs> he waits till he kills all his enemies and then he gets Carlo. Right. Um, and he's always going to kill Carlo. In fact, he wants to watch Carlo get killed. <laughs> sure, um, yeah. and, and so I think that it's disappointing in Godfather 3 that he actually thinks killing Fredo's a bad idea. Um, there's a scene early in the film when they, you know, during the party in the beginning and Kay and he have this conversation and she says, and by the way, your son knows that, that you killed, yeah. killed Fredo. Remember they were, they would go out fishing together. Right. And he doesn't deny it. He just kind of. Yeah. He changes the subject. Yeah. Yeah, he just kind of looks at her. It's actually kind of a nice little acting exercise. Yeah. He's not actually speaking directly to what she says. Um, and that's the Michael that I think we want. And then when he's like crying about stuff, you know, really? <laughs> yeah. No, he can have diabetes. I'll give him that. But he I doesn't get to be sorry. Because yeah. he's not sorry. Because he's doing exactly what a practical right. businessman, which is what he claims to be, has to do. He will not be respected as long as Fredo's around because everybody yeah. knows Fredo betrayed him. He has right. to kill Fredo. Right. So, right. And he does. Yeah, and he does. Life right? goes yeah. on. And Godfather 3, he's kind of like a fun uncle. <laughs> he's <kinda> like <laughs> well, I don't think he has to not be the Michael of the first two films to be legitimate, right. which is, I guess, what they, the script, the people who worked on the script thought. Yeah. So. Right. Great. But I didn't get so, to write the film, so they don't care what I think. So That's true, yeah. Whatever, free draft, yeah. All right, so... <laughs> right, we're, we're, my draft of the, of the, uh, of the film. Yeah. yeah. All right, so we're going to pause here, and then we're going to come cool. back for segment two. Okay, so welcome back. Uh, in our second segment today, I would like to ask Professor Lewis, uh, 
what can you tell us about how Godfather Three fits into uh, Coppola's career, especially the part of his career that you detail in your book? Well, yeah, the the book uh, is 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 about his attempt to take on Hollywood after Apocalypse Now, and it it goes terribly wrong for a lot of reasons, including his own arrogance. And um, he makes some, I think, interesting films in the 80s. I think um, one from the heart kind of got written off, but it's a really interesting film. Mm -hmm. And Rumblefish is really, I think, kind of amazing. Um, and he made some money with Peggy Sue Got Married, but, but certainly by the time he gets to Godfather Three, the impression is that he needs this movie to get credibility in Hollywood again. And, um, and he needs it for money, which, uh, as I said in the first, first little segment, um, I, I find it kind of hard to believe. I mean, he made so much money. Uh, but, but the film, it, it, it almost, almost feels like a sort of half-hearted gesture, um, which is, I think, also part of the problem. I don't, yeah. I don't think his heart's in making, this is a really big movie, you know, it's way over three hours. It's like all these people in the cast and yeah. several locations and, and he seems not to be doing any of the things that he did really well in the first two films as well in this one. And, and it could be just, you know, making a movie this big is really exhausting. He maybe wasn't up to it. So that's sort of where I put it. You know, he made four of the best films in the 1970s, maybe four of the best films in the history of cinema in the 1970s. Sure. So I expect him to keep that up for another couple <laughs> right. of decades, maybe a little, a little yeah. more. Well, maybe once he went up, once he went down the river in Apocalypse Now, like, the, you know, he wasn't coming back all the way. I mean. Yeah, you know, I guess that's, that's one thing. But I think he was back all the way in, in when he tried to set up the company. And I think that was, that was when Hollywood just sort of, sort of crushed him. I mean, Hollywood is this. Well, can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Talk about Zoetrope and about his, his, his you know, he, you said mentioned for his arrogance, and which, is, which is why he's such a fascinating creature that he was going to maybe yeah, going to take I, on I, Hollywood. Yeah, I wrote that book a long time ago, and um, what made me write the book was I saw one from the heart and, and, and thought, wow, this movie's great. Why, did, why does everybody hate it? <laughs> and then I discovered, well, first of all, not everybody hated it, but isn't it interesting? I thought everybody hated it, that right. I actually got mostly good reviews, uh, but certainly nobody saw it. And the story is that after he finishes Apocalypse Now, he decides that, you know, after dealing with United Artists on that film, it was just not going to work for him anymore and he was he figured he was powerful and talented enough at this point especially after apocalypse now hits that he can he can create his own little mini studio mm -hmm. and and kind of take on the big boys and there's he so underestimated what that was going to involve financially and that's what my book's about that yeah if there ever was a director who who might have believed he could have done this and maybe maybe had had the talent to do it it was him and he he didn't even come close yeah and um there's uh, in the beginning of the book and I, I won't go into any more detail than this uh he has this sort of reflection on how lucas's career goes up in the 80s and his goes down and um he says something that you know uh lucas is is my japan <laughs> you know that he's, <laughs> sort of, he's the economy that works so he says lucas is my japan and what does he need um, to be attached to a, to a diseased organ like me. He says something that dramatic. 
So he really understood that, okay, I try to do what Lucas did. Lucas creates Lucasfilm, Industrial Light Magic, makes a boatload of money, controls his films and gets to live in San Francisco. Coppola creates Hollywood General, later American Zoetrope, decides to take on the studios and he gets buried. Um, and now he's had 30 years to figure out why or 40 years yeah. to figure out why. Yeah, he just turned 80, I believe. I believe I read last week that he just I saw him 80. in Portland. He, he did a, I'm in Portland, Oregon. Okay. Uh, capital of the resistance, thank you. <laughs> um, and uh, he, he was wonderful. Um, he was talking about this book he wrote, which nobody really wanted to hear him right. talk about. Uh, but, you know, totally on top of his game. And he's got this sort of very sweet manner. Um, he was terrific. Yeah, I wonder why he's. I wonder why because I he he made these minor films like Twixt and, and a couple other you know str strange little ones. But you always wonder like you know is because I know Bob Dylan just put a new album out, so everyone was like, oh, Bob's got one more album, and Bob's got one more. So you kind of think the same thing about him. Like you know, you wonder like, does he have one more major film in him? But I, a major film, I doubt because I don't think he'll make one. Yeah. Um, not because he can't, but I don't think he will. Um, Tetro's good. You know, yeah. if you gotta if you gotta go into the back catalog or the late career catalog. Okay. That, that draws gorgeous. So it okay. shows he can still, still has an eye for what he's doing. Um, and he has a project now, Metropolis, isn't it? Isn't it called Metropolis he's doing now? He has a new project. Oh, he was supposed to be yeah. doing a megalop. Yeah, megalopolis. Oh, it's, it's, um, I've, I've seen a couple of different times. Yeah, I can't. Have, yeah, so we don't know about that. I, I, like I said, I mean, a lot of the new the new stuff's been pretty bad. Yeah. But Tetra's really, really quite something, I think. Okay. So do, do, you, do, you, do you think the problems with uh, Godfather Part Three uh, are, or, or his his problems in the 80s and the 90s, as you just kind of laid them out for us, do you think that's symptomatic of what's wrong with the movie? Is it kind of as, as he tried to take on the business side as well, that, that things started to decline versus, I know he had a few fights with the studios to make Godfather Part One and Part Two, right? You know, insisting on, things that he that he thought was he thought was right and it, it's funny that as soon as he would be in charge and got to make any call he wanted that things would uh that things would seem to go awry a little bit yeah maybe um i don't i think he had less power on three than he had on two and um he might not have been up for it you know making a movie is just like one thing after another in a year and also he had to do it i know there was a big time crunch too he had a, he had a, he had a, it was it almost seemed like soup to nuts in a year yeah, and, and, and that's when things started to go wrong. He couldn't really do what he wanted to do about them. You mm -hmm. know, he had to rewrite the script. He had to write a character out of the script who was one of, what, the four principal characters sure. in the Godfather story. He had to yeah. write Tom out. Yeah. Um, and then he had to, to sort of figure out what to do with um, the Mary role. Yeah. Um, and and I, he also I, wanted to... Also, before we end this segment, I wanted to ask you about, he also, he had a, I remember there was a big squabble where he wanted to name the film The Death of Michael Corleone instead of Godfather, The Godfather Part Three. And, I, and you know, watching it again, I thought to myself, I don't know how, how much of a difference that would have made, whatever, whatever you called it, whether you called it that or the third one or the next one or. No, no. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think he just never wanted to make another Godfather. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I don't know. It'd be great else. if we could call Francis Coppola up right now and just yeah, say, yeah, what were you we'll, we'll invite him for the next I, I don't, And I don't know how brokenhearted he is, you know, yeah. about, about the film being disregarded think. as it has been. Yeah. Um, 
Because it wasn't trounced when it came out. I looked up the original, you know, now people, it's in hindsight, people say, oh, it's not, it's an inferior film, it's terrible. But that wasn't the, the whole story of its reception when it came out. No, he got on. Didn't he? Yeah. As far as I remember, he got a Best Picture nomination. Best yeah, he got a lot of nominations, sure. So, and, um, and if you look at the films of, what is it, 1990? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it would be the 1991, no, 1990 Oscars. 1990 so, Oscars, yeah. Yeah, because it came out, no, 91 Oscars because it came out, whatever. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> stuck on that. Uh, if you, you know, it kind of deserved it. It was a good movie. It didn't yeah. win, but yeah. it was a good I saw movie. Jerry Seinfeld, I saw Jerry Seinfeld once live and he took questions from the audience and somebody, somebody said to him, um, well, you know, how could you possibly uh, look back fondly on the last episode of Seinfeld? Did you think it wasn't as good as when you went back on Curb Your Enthusiasm? And the whole crowd went kind of like, ooh. And Jerry said, look, we did the best we could. We, we, we did the best we could with what we had. So it's kind of like the same vibe. Yeah, and I... You would think after making the four films he made in the 70s that right. he, he, he wasn't living on praise anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, it probably still, still hurt, but I, I think it's, 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 it's good to, especially if you watch the three in a row, he does a lot of things in the third one that sort of build on the first two. Uh, the look, he gets the look right. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he gets that sort of dark sort of browns. Yes. And, Oranges Sicily looks he right. Does yeah. in the other film, so you know he does certain things right. He's trying to do Sicily and New York, mm -hmm. which he did so brilliantly in two, and he can't quite do it, maybe the way he, because he, he doesn't really have the story that he had in Godfather two. So yeah. in a, in a lot of ways, if you just look at it, it as 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 a gangster movie, it's actually pretty good, <laughs> and um, it's. It's, it's, it's about how when he becomes legitimate, he's actually, and Kay says this to him in the beginning of the film, she says, I actually preferred you when you were a gangster. Because as he discovers when he's trying to consolidate things with the Mobiare, the European businessmen are worse than American yeah. gangsters. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. We prefer him as a gangster too. All right. Yeah, yeah. We're, yeah. we're going to break here, then we're going to come back for one more quick segment. So we'll see you there. We're going to pause here because we just want to tell you something. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. So let me explain. The first point is it's free. Yeah. Second, they have all the tools that you need to create, record, and edit your podcast right on your phone or your laptop. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other places. You pick up sponsorships, you can make money from your podcast, and there's no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Always be closing, Mike. Always be closing. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So welcome back. Now in segment three, we want to ask John about one more topic, and it's, and it's about this. It's um, David Thompson, who, who, who we're big fans of his. So he's written somewhere that um, the fact that Robert Town wouldn't write films like about Jake Giddies in Chinatown anymore and started writing Mission Impossible movies. He says, that's absolutely what's wrong with Hollywood. Now that's a whole different podcast, a whole different show, but it, it, I thought of it for today's episode because I wanted to ask you, what do you think Coppola's struggles after Apocalypse Now and maybe specifically with Godfather 3, what do they show us about, you know, what you call the new Hollywood? Like what, what big takeaways about artistic creation and filmmaking are there to be had from looking at the history of Godfather Three? Well, Godfather Three comes 
well into the time period that is the sort of blockbuster era of Hollywood. That, that really yeah. dates to right after Apocalypse Now, to right, right. around 1980. Um, you know, Star Wars is 77. Um, Jaws is 74, 74. Jaws is 75, but yeah. uh, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, that and Raiders. You know, so you have Star Wars and Raiders and it right. sort of establishes a kind of new template for Hollywood and Godfather is at once a blockbuster, but it's also sort of an auteur film and, and, and sort of harkens back to this energy uh, in, in the late 60s and early 70s that I think gets consolidated in the first Godfather film of directors who, um, who can make commercial films that are at the same time have a kind of um, almost a kind of European vibe to them, a kind of personal you're making sort of big personal films in the seventies. Right. You get Taxi Driver, right? You get Godfather, and that's the sort of party line on it. Right. And I think Godfather Three comes way after that's already gone. Mm -hmm. um, um, okay. So I, I guess that's where it fits in. As far as uh, David Thompson's remark, yeah, I mean, I think you either continuing doing, doing what Coppola does, whatever that is, right. and really not getting to work much or you write Mission Impossible, those are <laughs> two choices. Um, you know, Robert Town is a big figure of that first era. Sure. Uh, he writes the great scene in Godfather One in, uh, in he's the script doctor who writes the scene where uh, in, in, in the garden where Michael and, and Vito, Vito says, you know, I have big dreams for you, uh, Donna Corleone, Senator Corleone. Michael says, una peso novante, you know, another big shot, you know, he just sort of writes it I up. Drink, I drink so much red wine, it's good for your pop. Yeah, yeah, that, the wine thing, yeah, so I mean, it's just, it, it, he wrote that great scene, okay, that's a great yeah. scene, and he, 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 you know, he, he writes Chinatown, that's a great movie, <laughs> sure. um, but Town, by the time you get to whenever he's writing Mission Impossible, has already tried to do something else, and that didn't work, you know, he yeah. made personal best, and that didn't happen, yeah. um, so I think he's, there becomes no place for doing that kind of work anymore. And it's mm -hmm. just a matter you can keep trying to do it and that'll get you nowhere or you can sort of join up. And I guess I didn't know that town had written a mission impossible, but yeah. what you, you know, what's a guy supposed to do? You know? Yeah. The guy, as you said before, man. they need money. They need money. Coppola well, I said, I, do. I guess so. When Coppola, when I read about his birthday, he said somebody asked him in the in the article I read. It said, "Are you going to make another film?" And he said, "No. It's all everyone is everyone's just doing superhero movies. I'm tired of superhero movies." Well, you would think that he might find work on uh, Netflix or something, and he could make <laughs> yeah. serious. He could make a proper Godfather that's ten hours long now, uh, and no one would bat an eye because all those shows are ten hours long. Yeah, uh, but you wonder if it's so, it really is hard work and it's a lot to do, and I can't imagine he really needs to do it. He produces stuff, you know, his daughter makes great movies. Mm -hmm. um, he produces them or some of them. And uh, Do you think Coppola's career, like do you think that like in the seventies you talk about, like there was, there, was, there was far fewer negotiations with, with an auteur, with an artist than there is today? It seems like today, like every, David Thompson says somewhere else that um, the problem with Hollywood is that he says nobody reads. He goes, nobody reads the scripts. Nobody has a finished Yeah, script. but nobody ever read scripts. It's not yeah. new. Okay, um, okay. Yeah, he's right. Um, okay. Uh, when I was a graduate student way back in the late 70s and early 80s, I read scripts for a living for people who 
I'm pretty sure couldn't read. <laughs> they should have <laughs> patience to read a whole a whole script, and that takes what two hours, and yeah. that was like beyond them. Um, in, in his defense, oh, yeah. Brando Brando ended up in a superhero movie too. Um, that's, <laughs> that's not no, no no defense. Well, I, yeah, I think this is this is this is the problem is that if there's nothing else, and this is what you do for a living, then this is what you do for a living. There um, seems. There seems to me to be some kind of translation of scale, meaning like I, I think that um, The Godfather is what I would call a personal epic. You know, it's, it, it creates its own, it creates its own epic universe and its own drama out of characters that kind of gets translated into something like Star Wars, um, which takes on uh, actual epic themes. You know, you go from a personal universe to a galaxy far, far away, and it becomes kind of um, an epic of budget, right? The, the, every Mission Impossible tries to top itself um, with, with what it can do, and then you get these Finally, we, we've come to this era of grand series of 20 interconnected films, uh, all trying to outdo one another. And I, I guess what I'm hearing and what I would agree with is I, I don't necessarily know that there's a grand place for, um, you know, the, the personal epic in the sense of a, of a Godfather film. It seems like it's a very, it's a very difficult thing to do in a movie, though I agree with you. I think the, the, the appropriate place for that is probably in a long series uh, or, or something that might stream. Yeah, um, I did, I can't imagine we're going to see Coppola doing one of those either. Um, and you know, he's in his eighties; he doesn't really yeah. need to to, to mm -hmm. do this. I mean, I think my my takeaway from Godfather Three is it's way better than pretty much anything else that was made mm -hmm. that year, um, and that that's not nothing. Okay. And he made um, Bram Stoker's Dracula couple of years after that and that's pretty awesome film to yeah, be honest that's not nothing at all uh. yeah so i mean i think this sort of notion he makes apocalypse now and falls off the face of the earth okay that's not true but he was never hollywood was so different that by the time the 80s started rolling around there was no way anybody was going to be that director you know yeah. he was the right director at the right time for the right decade <laughs> and then yeah. that decade's gone and it's never coming back and um we're never gonna, never gonna see the likes of that again. Quick, quick follow on. Um, I, I'm very intrigued by what you just said. I feel the same way about Al Pacino, and we've we've done tons of Al Pacino movies already on just on two seasons of podcast. I'll tell you that the, it's one of the last Pacino performances that I find really believable and I really like. I, I don't know about you, oh. but you know, but you know. Oh yeah, we I, don't agree at all. Okay, I, mean, I don't want to be rude to you on. No, that. no, no, please. Uh, that, that's why oh. I invited you on. That, but the nineties are like rude to you. The nineties are like the decade of the devil's advocate. You know, we I, like I like him in heat. Okay. You know, I like him in heat, but uh, uh, there's, there, there's I think there's some performances like Scent of a Woman or something where it seems okay, like see, that's the one everybody brings up, and that is really bad. Okay. Um, well, it's a really bad. I don't like the movie. I shouldn't say it's really bad. <laughs> um, but I'm a huge no, no. I'm I'm if there's a De Niro and Pacino camp, I'm in the Pacino camp. So then what we have, because we're talking about directors, we're talking about old directors, we're talking about long movies. So what's, we're going to cheat a little bit because our very first episode Mike and I did was on The Irishman. So what's your, what was your gut reaction to The Irishman? I'm a huge Scorsese fan. So uh, you're asking me about a film that yeah. wasn't my favorite of his. Yeah. Um, um, I did see it in a movie theater. Okay. Um, and that was pretty terrific. Yeah, I thought um, it was terrific. See it with a, a, a crowd of people, which is mm -hmm. not how most people saw the film. Yeah. Uh, and a crowd of people who, who were dying. Who got I mean, it, it yeah. Very hard to get those tickets. Um, I, I didn't like the computer um, yeah. aging thing at all. And I didn't think it was necessary or de-aging mm -hmm. that 
that they still moved like, you know, I'm 65. I know how people <laughs> move differently when they get old than when they're young. And I just didn't buy any of the young stuff at all. And I didn't see why they couldn't use young actors. I, I just, it That's just didn't work. It didn't work for me and it distracted for me. I feel but, like somebody said that on this podcast. Oh, really? <laughs> Mike is Mike is trying to be funny because Mike said it was Mike said it was it was a film that everyone loved because it was by director emeritus Martin Scorsese. And it was kind of kind of had that vibe, director emeritus. So that was yeah, yeah. And I mean, it was still good. It's still better yeah. than most everything. But <laughs> that's true. I didn't, but I didn't like um, I didn't like the de-aging thing. And I didn't think it was necessary. And um, uh, my my dad worked for the Teamsters. So, I mean, oh. I, I kind of dug the stories. So there was that. Um, but I'm a huge late Pacino career fan. Um, I think his Phil Spector is awesome. I think his Kevorkian is awesome. Mm -hmm. I think he's all or nothing. I mean, he's, a, he's yeah. in a way, you know, everybody invokes Brando just, but Brando was terrible in a lot of things. In a lot of movies, yeah. Super and, Superman. But he was also <laughs> mind-blowingly good. And not only late career Brando, you know, Viva Zapata is a weird movie and he's, I think, weirdly bad in it. At the same time, he can be fantastic. Yeah. He's lovable in The Freshman, a weird, stupid yeah. movie, and he's really good in it. So I think Pacino's kind of like that. He's kind of all or nothing. Um, even in Heat, I don't know what on earth that script's about. And he's so strange in it, um, but he's great. Oh, I'm we free. I froze for a second. I know we we um we had a great episode a podcast episode on Heat and uh, I actually loved his performance in Heat. I thought it was yeah, weird yeah. weird and unpredictable and totally kept me at the edge of my seat. But um I there is something about uh about Scent of a Woman and kind of his caricature of himself, which some sometimes in his later career performances I just keep I keep hearing him do uh, Scent of a Woman and it, it bugs oh, me. well, that's too bad. You should. It's a bad script. But so no, I'm, I, I'm not I necessarily like how sure. Great so Glenn Gary Glenn, his, how yeah. great is Glengarry Glenn Ross? I mean, you know, like you said, it's it, all or nothing. That's beautiful. Well, I'll, I'll give you something about uh, 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 Kenneth Branagh, who knows sure. three things about acting, said that the greatest screen performance he's ever seen is Al Pacino and Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Really? It's totally absor It's totally absorbing. I couldn't yeah. agree more. It's a. Uh, it's like a black hole appears on screen and you can't look away. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I. He, he's just made a lot of stuff and some of it's yeah. really bad, but he's made some, uh, I, I thought his Kevorkian was just fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, Phil Spector, who would think Al Pacino is Phil Spector? Yeah, another David And Roy Cohn in Angels in America. Oh, uh, that's, that's true. That's a great so film. It, he just does a lot. Yeah. Because yeah. he's yeah. an actor. He's, you know, he just does a lot, but I think he's great. So. He keeps working. All right. So, okay. John, we have to say, we have, you know, thank you so much for coming on. We, again, we want to remind everybody out there that if you're interested in reading John's book about Coppola, post-apocalypse now, um, it's called Whom God Wishes to Destroy. I can vouch for it. It's a terrific, terrific book. John, we were so happy to talk to you. We're so thankful that you came on and took your time out of your, your day to come and talk to about Godfather 3 to us. It was a ton really of fun. Thank you. My pleasure. You're welcome, guys. All Anytime. right. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.